Hey everybody, it's Allie, and welcome to our YNR chat for Sunday, November 30th, 2014. Just a quick reminder, I'm still working on transferring all of the YNR chat website and podcast data, so if you should have any trouble finding YNR chat over the next week or two, don't forget, you can always go to YouTube to watch the new video, and if for some reason, there's some trouble downloading the podcast, just go to Facebook for an update. Uh, and if, if, if it's not available, believe me, I will be working furiously to get it back. Um, and it may be another week or two before it's 100% safe, but I just want to mention that right away. So, so you'll know why in our chat will be there one way or the other. So... Wow, this week. I I have to start out by talking about my favorite part of the whole week, which was uh, Nick on trial. (laughs) Nick uh, almost in kind of a a YNR tends to do a holiday episode, and many times they've done the the theme of uh, almost like the the ghosts of Christmas past. (laughs) And it was was very that for Nick. It was the, the, the ghosts of exes past. It was really a, a cool episode. I thought that I, that it was it was it was interesting the way they zoomed in on the character of Nick. I thought it was well delivered, well written, and it really tugged on my heartstrings. I cried a lot during that episode. <laughs> I don't know if it was me, maybe just I needed a good cry or something, but I was crying through that episode. I was crying through the Thanksgiving episode episode. (laughs) It was so emotional. And I think I connected with the Nick episode, mostly because it, when Nick came on to the show, was right around the time when I started watching. I think he, he, he came on in, in 1994. I started watching in late 93. So it, it was, you know, as a young Allie, I mean, I, I was, I mean, I couldn't have been 13, 14 at the time, that Nick and Sharon's story was something I could connect to as a younger person. And so seeing all of the flashbacks and taking a moment to think about the character of Nick as he's evolved over the years, or maybe not so much of He's really pretty much the same guy today as he was all those years ago. But it was interesting to really look at the character. Nick is someone who is very much always there, yet at the same time, he can come off I think, as almost two-dimensional at times. Uh, What do we know about him? I mean, we know he likes to fight and he likes to make love. Mostly what we know about him is he's a lover and he's a fighter. And now, in the wake of finding out about this huge betrayal of Sharon's, he's found himself in the middle of the woods in this cabin looking for solitude and and maybe on some level looking for answers on how he could move forward because he's realizing that the path that he gen- generally takes is always leading him back to the same place uh, which is heartache and he begins to talk about how it's women it's 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 women that that all that get him every time get him into trouble and that maybe his 
life would be better off without them. He's feeling very um, resentful about many of the women in his life. And uh, I just, I, it was so cool. One by one, they all sort of popped up in his very drunken mind. He's at this point made two best friends, one with a, a dog, <laughs> uh, which is connected to where Adam is, and the other being a bottle of ooh, stale old potato gin, probably. So he's he's lit out of his mind. And one by one, we almost take this sort of um, retrospective or like a, a, a journey through all of Nick's relationships and starting all the way back with Amy. I remember Amy. I don't remember a lot of specifics about her. I think she was the woman or the girl who Nick was kind of involved with when he was first uh, cast onto the show as an adult back from boarding school. And I think everything you saw in the episode is pretty much what happened. She, she you know, she was in love with him and she gave him her virginity. And unfortunately, he wasn't able to return the loving feelings because he met Sharon and fell in love with Sharon. It was nice to see her. I did remember her. Um, she sort of had this quality that was similar to what Sharon had back in the day. So it's it's uh, under I understand why Nick was attracted to her. That he seemed to really enjoy an innocent sort of damsel in distress at that point in his life. And then also uh, Grace walked in. I have to say, of for the whole episode, I Grace was the comic relief. She was bawdy. She was bold. She makes absolutely no bones about what she wants, and that's Nick's body. And there's something about it that I found so refreshing. Maybe because a lot of women on the show uh, have, you know, are roundabout about how they feel about a man or a lover. Grace just puts it all on front street. <laughs> And it is what it is. You know, what you see is what you get when it comes to Grace. And I appreciate that for some reason. I I don't, I never liked Grace when she was on the show initially. But obviously it was because Weiner was building the Nick and Sharon romance. And Grace was always right there to get up in the middle of it. And they showed a flashback scene of Grace in the office with Nick, giving him a neck rub and saying, you know, she's there for you. And that, it was so annoying at the time. She was coming in between our two lovers. But now there's just seeing her a little bit older and yet still very much the same. I, I just, I loved it. She, she was right there to inject along the way. Well, I'm still available. I mean, even as all of the women are, are mad at Nick and putting him on trial and really pressing him and saying, hey, you're feeling like we did you wrong? Well, guess what? You did us wrong, too. Grace is right there just like, oh, you know, I'll still have sex with you. <laughs> it was good. I think I, I, I'm I was very surprised. I remember when I learned that she that the actress had moved over to Bold, the Bold and the Beautiful and um, 
because I just never connected with her and it was surprising to me that she that she would have been someone who would have stuck around in the world of soaps and now that I've gotten a little bit more used to her on Bold and the Beautiful although she's nothing like Grace or I mean I guess there are some common themes but uh, but I'm wishing that we had a little more Grace or maybe she made a little bit more of a cameo she's got that camp quality that I enjoy about Gloria for instance where you, you come in and you just are what you are there's no um, you know there, there's no need to get real deep on this character you just come in with a with a with a, 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 a motive and then you leave and so I, I kind of I really, I Grace was kind of the standout star for me, uh, just which is very surprising. Um, she was not one of the deep relationships in Nick's life, uh, but she was always there to take advantage. Uh, the, the throughout this, it sort of evolved into bringing Nick's other important relationships into the scene, starting with Phyllis. Um, there, and I thought Wyanart did a good job of representing the evolution of the relationships too. Um, Nick, he was in the cabin. Uh, I believe Grace and Amy were together kind of arguing with Sharon and about Sharon and talking about Sharon and Nick realized you know that he he has one singular feeling about Sharon right now and it's that I I, I think I, I believe it's that I love her but I can't be anywhere around her I can't take this risk anymore and so he leaves the cabin uh, feeling uh, disappointed or distraught with his relationship with Sharon and then he comes back in and Phyllis is there to alleviate it just there playing video games, just there being simple, not giving him, uh, you know, any anything too uh, hardcore or anything too serious, just playing video games and having fun and having sex. And I liked that how that was represented at the cabin. We got a series of flashbacks, um, which I didn't enjoy as much as I thought I would. I mean, they're not actual flashbacks. They were sort of YNR going back and recreating uh, Nick and Phyllis's wedding and various fights that they had and and making up which which was very much the tone of their relationship they would fight and then have sex and make up that was what it was and there was always a little bit of Sharon injected in there as well uh, and I, they did a good job of representing that the the flashbacks mm, although I like Gina I'm just like I almost kind of would have rather not seen it um, just because I know it's not I don't know I don't know you, there were so many other other flashbacks that were real and so it was kind of hard to look at those um, after having seen the wonder you know I love a flashback <laughs> uh, and of course uh, Avery comes into the mix and she and Phyllis are there uh, sort of uh, at first being supportive of Nick but then it you know with Avery coming in it turned in to the trial of Nick Newman Avery literally <laughs> was being so nice, like, I know you like my cupcakes. I make the best cupcakes, Nick. And the next second, she grabs her glasses, puts on her glasses, and starts saying, Nicholas Newman, you're on trial, or do you swear to tell the truth, or whatever she was saying. But it was funny that the glasses signified, okay, we're going into a trial. I thought that was an interesting way to convey uh, the, uh, what was going on in Nick's head. He started out being... 
feeling very slighted and then in his mind he couldn't help but uh, but realize or become faced with the fact that he was no saint either. I mean Nick played a very real part in the downfall of all of these relationships really maybe with the exception of Avery. It seems like Nick and Avery's relationship was a, a hit and a miss. They found each other at just the right time, yet they were both kind of still in love with other people. And oddly, I feel like Nick maybe was a little more committed to Avery than she was to him, which is probably one of the only times when that was the case. All of these other women in Nick's life always seem to just want him so much and so hard and tried so hard to hold on to him, yet Avery had him and wanted somebody else. So uh, that was that was a, a little bit different um, of, of the scene. But, you know, Nick needed to take a look at what, you know, he had done that, that played a role in this as well. And it, of course, all comes back to Sharon. Sharon has been the common thread throughout all of this. She was his first love. She was the the mother of his children, and and she's the love of his life. So, um, I, I mean, whether or not Nick and Sharon get back together next week, a year from now, or a decade from now, I do think that they are the modern-day Nikki and Victor, which is why it was so appropriate that Nick's um, dream, nightmare, journey, evolved beyond the lovers that he's had into the other women in his life, the other family members in his life, and I guess they were all women, thinking back on it. But uh, Nikki appears, and she's sitting there with him, being very motherly, getting him to stop drinking. By the way, the moment where Nikki grabbed the bottle out of out of Nick's hand and took it away and gave him a glass of water instead, I thought, hmm, <laughs> Nikki's probably got that bottle stashed away in her bag somewhere. She's going to take it back with her into dreamland or heaven or wherever she is from, wherever this version of Nikki's from. She's going to slug down that bottle. A little bit of irony there, Nikki telling Nick to stop drinking. Uh, but it it made sense in the evolution of this nightmare sequence that Nikki would be there to talk to her son and kind of represent one side of this couple. Like, for instance, it seems like Nikki is like Nick, and Victor is more like Sharon. It's sort of a weird role reversal, but I do view both Nikki and Nick as someone who, or people who are are loyal and who want to love and who want to give of themselves. They both seem like someone who just loves sort of um, uh, unconditionally, whereas Sharon and Victor are maybe always going to screw it up somehow. So Nikki's there counseling her son and identifying with her son and what it feels like to to love somebody who is a poor decision maker. 
<laughs> to put it lightly, or or uh, who has a tendency to just go their own way and do what they want, which is not how Sharon started out, um, but it is certainly how she ended up. So it was it was appropriate that Nikki was there to to talk th- through uh, that with him, and I thought it was interesting that they capped off the nightmare sequence with Nick's children running around outside. At, at this point in his life, he feels that his children are the best thing that he's done, the only thing that he hasn't screwed up in his life. And so we see a scene of um, Faith and Summer playing outside together. And of course, Mariah ends up coming in and being a little snarky. I appreciated that it wasn't Cassie. And they sort of mentioned that um, there was almost a realization of, of the characters that it was a dream. And somebody said something about, I'm surprised Cassie's not here. And Nick said, no, I need to let her memory rest, which is the right thing to do. YNR, by the way, I was glad that they didn't go through with that. Um, but it, it also created and showed Nick as a leader of his family. Again, there's a lot of like 2D going on with the character of Nicholas, but now we're seeing him as a father and as a role model because he's feeling like he doesn't want to love again, like he can't continue down the path that he's been down and he is clearly being very cynical and it's it's contrasted with Summer saying, well, you've always told us as we were growing up that we should want love, that we should look for love. And here Summer is in a point in her life where she's just discovering her first love. And seeing her dad being cynical was very difficult for her. And she also, you know, kind of put it in his face in a different way of like, what are you going to do? You're just always going to be alone now? That doesn't, that's not what you taught us. So you, you're going to go back on everything you said and everything you felt. Whereas Mariah is identifying with Nick and saying, love is pain, no matter how you slice it. So I liked that there were all sides represent, represented there, including the innocence of faith. It was a good, good sequence, um, and that was kind of where it ended. Um, oh no, no, it's not. They all kind of came back into. Duh. They all came back uh, into just that area outside the cabin door, and all of the women are standing there, Amy, Grace, Phyllis Avery, Sharon, and they're all, they all kind of start, like, uh, glomming onto him at the end, which also was very representative, you know, they're saying, we're gonna, you know, we want to be here for you, Nick, like, we're the women that are gonna smother the life out of you, and he is saying, no, no, I'm done, I'm done, and with that, he wakes up from the dream, uh, probably with a very bad hangover in the bed, uh, the little dog is still there, and he opens up the door to try to take the dog back to the owner, which I thought, thought, oh, clearly he's going to run into Adam, or he's going to go back to wherever Adam is staying, return this dog, and real, and I don't know, there was going to be some kind of clue there, but no, instead, still probably a little bit drunk, Nick is stumbling through the woods talking to himself, and he steps right into a bear trap. Ah! <laughs> I mean, it looked really painful and I felt it was it felt very real Nick's 
screaming in agony and that part felt very real to me could his life get any worse at this point he's really he's really down uh but he's he's lying out there i mean it was the end of that tuesday's episode and then i think the beginning of wednesday's episode is that right yeah something like that um i could be totally wrong on the days but whatever the next episode it was morning so he was out there all night with his foot stuck in a bear trap and no one out there to help him and I saw from the previews of next week's show that Summer is going to somehow, somehow stumble along to, to get him out of this, which means that this whole cabin is way closer to Genoa City than I thought, which means that Adam is way closer to Genoa City than I thought. Kelly is finally coming face to face in a private moment with Jack for the first time since he proposed to Phyllis, realized that, oh no, he doesn't want to be with Kelly, he wants to be with Phyllis, and Jack can't get a word in edgewise. Kelly is going on and on about how happy she is that they're going to be together forever, and every time Jack tries to inject a word, she is just interrupting him with sweet nothings. Oh, I'm just, it's all going to work out, Jack. You know, she's just almost not wanting to hear the truth, and I wonder if Kelly knew the truth all along. I just keep going back to that scene where she goes to his office to give him the ultimatum about being together, and rather than waiting and listening to Jack and, and, and what his real answer was, she accepted that he kissed her passionately as the yes that she was looking for. Well, it was never about does he love you? It's about who does he, who, who's deeper? Which love runs deeper? Who does he want to spend the rest of his life with? So there's a part of me that wonders if Kelly in the back of her mind knew that Jack was not going to choose her and she was just sort of hoping for the best and maybe throwing out like, like I don't want to hear it, I don't want to hear it, I don't want to hear it, everything's going to be fine, it's going to be great, Jack, we're going to be together. And finally, he starts to just squeeze in the words that no, we can't be together. When Phyllis comes marching in, totally interrupts their conversation, and pops her engagement ring right in Kelly's face, going on about, oh, did Jack tell you we're going to get engaged, and you should totally plan our wedding party. Ugh. That didn't erupt, or that, that secret didn't come out in quite the way I thought it was going to. I thought it was going to be an engagement party or something, or bigger somehow, but it, the truth got out there. I mean, the, and I, I it's, ugh, the, ugh, gosh, the look on Kelly's face was heartache and confusion and anger and just like she didn't want to blow up Phyllis's world, didn't want to give away that she really loved Jack, but she kind of had to stand there and take it. And in contrast, the absolute look of glee on Phyllis's face was devilish. It was absolutely red devilish. I I am struggling with this a little bit because while I do like the character of Phyllis, I'm having kind of a hard time justifying why Kelly has to be the one to suffer. Why 
is it, Phyllis, that Kelly has to be punished for her relationship with Jack? It's clear that Phyllis is going out of her way to, to rub Kelly's face in it, and I don't understand why. I understand why Phyllis would feel betrayed. Jack pledged his love to her forever. It's the thing that Phyllis held on to when she brought herself, or Victor helped, bring herself out of that coma. It, it was something that was a motivating factor for her, and she was counting on that love. And finding out that Jack was prepared to move on had to have been an incredible blow, not only to Phyllis's ego, but to her heart. There was a scene where we, we that was recreated between uh, Phyllis and Nick, where Phyllis was saying, you know, I, I'm strong, but sometimes I'm not as strong as I think. And I've noticed that about people. Have you ever noticed that sometimes the person who has the biggest, most seemingly confident personality in the room is probably the most insecure? And I get that from Phyllis. So I understand why she feels the way she feels. But why isn't the fury over the betrayal directed at Jack? Jack was the one that made the decision, not Kelly. So punishing Kelly for it just seems sadistic to me. And I don't know, maybe that's maybe that's who, who the the new version of Phyllis or I'm not sure. I I I think that Jack had an understandable position. Um, but again, it just feels like something they should talk about or that should be addressed rather than just almost torturing Kelly to watch Jack squirm. There was a scene this week where um, Jack kind of recommitted himself to Phyllis after everything went down. He did make a phone call to Kelly to say, I'm sorry, that's not how I wanted you to find out, and I really want to talk to you. But at, at the end of the day, I can understand why Kelly would not be returning his phone calls. But uh, Jack sits down with Phyllis and gives her this present. It's it's a wishbone. And he explained uh, how he and Summer wished over this wishbone that Phyllis would come back to them um, uh, and and then she did. And it was a very tender moment between Jack and Phyllis. And he had, uh, again, Phyllis kind of um, tried to press him about, you know, who did you see while I was gone? You know, and she, like she wants him to tell her. She wants Jack to just fess up to the fact that he had this relationship with Kelly so that he can explain it. And she poked him a little bit about it, and he clearly doesn't want to go into the details, but he did say something that was very revealing. Phyllis, you were gone for so long, I stopped believing that you were coming back. So I felt like that really explained Jack's position in all of this. It wasn't that I stopped loving you or that I just decided to move on just because I was bored. I loved you deeply. I lost you. And over time, every single day, day in, day out, I stopped 
having the hope that you were going to be able to come back from it. So I was prepared to move on with my life. I thought that explained his position very well. Uh, and I believe that Jack and Phyllis have a shot at, at a very good relationship together, a very strong relationship together. I don't know what the heck's going to happen to Kelly because follow just after <laughs> this bomb got dropped on her about Jack being engaged. She thinks Jack's going to be engaged to her or this is going to be with her. Oh no, he comes in. Oh, by the way, I'm engaged to somebody else. Ben, her brother, comes in and follows up the injury with an insult and tells her the truth about their father. I, you know, I can't keep this from you anymore. You have to know the truth. I've been lying to you. Uh, it was actually mom who killed our father. And Kelly didn't understand it at first. Ben had to explain it. Kelly was totally clueless about everything not I mean like she was clue I don't know I guess it could be argued but she's clueless about that what Jack was about to say to her and what was kind of going on behind her back there and she was clueless about not only the fact that her brother killed or didn't kill the father but that she didn't know her father was even abusive toward her mother so Kelly is just in the dark and I don't know how she's gonna find any light I I'm kind of wondering if well Connor had left me a voicemail a couple weeks ago and said what would you think about a Kelly and Nick um relationship um I, you know, like, I don't, I don't know. I, I have a hard time connecting with the character of Kelly, and I do connect with the character of Nick a little more, especially now. So I don't know if I necessarily want to see that, but I'm wondering if maybe that could be a direction that it's headed, because we all know Nick is not going to stay single for long. Please give me a break. He's going to end up with somebody once he gets back in Genoa City, whether he likes it or not, whether it's Sharon or not. I really don't, I really don't know if Y&R, I don't know why they would go to the trouble of showing us all of this amazing love between Nick and Sharon. Just think back over the past couple months, their wedding, all of the little scenes, the lovemaking, the bathtub scene, just everything that we love about Nick and Sharon. Y&R's taking the time to get us back into this couple. Are they just going to yank the rug out and go, no, we're going in a different direction now? And keep the lovers apart. I'm. I don't. I don't know. I could. But I could almost kind of see them. I don't know. I guess it could go either way. I could see them just totally pairing Nick up with somebody new. But mm, I don't know. I'd rather see him with Sharon. Thanksgiving in Genoa City. I really don't know why, but I cried through most of it. <laughs> Ridiculous. There was just so much beautiful sentiment. Like, <laughs> that was a total wreck. It was sad. I don't know why. Uh, starting with the winters. Um, well, I just have to, I cannot help but mention, Devon and Hillary are becoming increasingly reckless. They had this scene in Jack's office this week where Devon goes and locks the door and then 
it continues on with the whole fantasy theme of their relationship and says, oh, we're, puts on some beach music and says we're on a beach somewhere, puts a flower in her hair, and it was, you know, it's supposed to be romantic. Um, but I just kept thinking, this is so inappropriate in Jack's office. Phyllis almost walked in on him. I mean, can't you... Why be at the office? <laughs> Why not just get the hotel room? Devon owns a hotel. It's unnecessary. And it's just brazen, isn't it? I don't know. Maybe it was just me. But uh, the Thanksgiving was, it was very awkward naturally, especially because Colin was there. And I, I honestly don't think Colin wanted to blackmail Devon and Hillary. I think he just wanted to get... Uh, this mob guy off his back and the opportunity presented himself but Hillary did take a moment to isolate Colin and let him know if you think you're just going to continue to blackmail us you can forget it and just his reaction made me think well I, I think he probably does appreciate being a part of the family didn't really want to do it maybe even feels a little bit guilty about it but of course Jill caught an eyeful of them together talking and I don't know if she's going to maybe be the one to put together the pieces on it and want to tell Neil, I'm not sure. It's Something is up with Neil. I wonder if secretly Neil is starting to put together the pieces. Uh, Lily was kind of keeping her eye on him throughout the Thanksgiving uh, meal <clears throat> and saying that she was worried about him, that maybe the blindness is finally starting to get to him. I also laughed because Henry called into my voicemail this past week and said, you know, Neil has a very perfectly manicured beard for a blind man. <laughs> I mean, how on earth is that getting done? He's either standing for all day in the mirror getting his beard just right or he's got professional people coming in to give him his haircut and shower and shave every single day or maybe Hillary's doing it for him I don't know uh, but Neil is maybe is he either starting to figure out what's going on or is there any chance he's getting his eyesight back uh, Lily uh, speculated that maybe it's that the blindness is just going on longer than he thought. Everybody thought it was temporary and now it's just forever apparently. Uh, but I don't know if that's it. I just kind of wonder if Neil's going to start to put together the pieces on his own maybe. I'm not sure. He gave a very nice, lovely dinner speech where he was saying he, you know, he's really appreciative for everybody in his family which of course just made uh, Devon and Hillary look worse, feel worse. Um, Aaron Brody on YouTube, I was reading one of his comments and he said like, if if Neil goes on and on anymore about how wonderful and kind and helpful Hillary's wife is, I'm going to throw something at my TV screen because it is laying it on so thick. He's constantly going on about what a great family he has while we all know what's going on in the background is that Devon and Hillary are both stabbing him in the back. I mean, Hillary has totally changed her personality, by the way, toward Devon. It used to be a couple of months back, she was very resentful toward Devon for loving her and very resentful toward the fact that she loved him. And now when he comes to see her, she jumps up out of her chair and she's like, I love you. So why not just move on then? Uh.
it's getting a little bit drug out. When's that going to come out? I'd love to know. Um, shifting over into the Newman Thanksgiving, Faith er, comes to the ranch. Sharon drops Faith off at the ranch. And Nikki and Victor were both so rude. It was hilarious, but horrible, of course. I mean, Faith's all happy to see Grandma and Grandpa, and Victor says to her, I hope you understand, I think it was Victor, said, I hope you understand that we won't ask you to stay, <laughs> Sharon. Faith is welcome here, but you, on the other hand, can get the hell out. <laughs> and Nikki, she, she, Sharon says, yes, I have my own plans. Nikki, can you walk me to the door? And Sharon just kind of quietly tells Nikki, look, I, we haven't told Faith uh, about the breakup, so I'd appreciate if you just keep it a secret and Nikki pretty much <laughs> really close to like ushering Sharon out the door and says yes yes I know we won't tell Faith about what you did and happy Thanksgiving and kind of just like shut the door in Sharon's face just really ushered her right out like it couldn't have been less welcoming uh, or disdain it was so disdainful the disdain factor was very high um just pushed her right out the door shut the door in her face I felt so bad for Sharon in that moment but I was really happy and surprised to see Noah and Mariah spent some time with her um, in that uh, at the uh, underground. So Sharon didn't have to be alone because this could have been a really lonely, low holiday for Sharon. And instead, Mariah and Noah were there with her and they brought some love and some lightheartedness to the table, which I thought was very much needed. Um, so I enjoyed that. And then uh, Victoria brought the baby to out to the Newman Ranch. So uh, and then, I mean, Dylan was there, Avery was there. Um, but when Victoria came in, all of the attention was on her and her baby and it was so nice that it just kind of brought some cheer into the room because the Newman family is so fractured so divided uh, it was nice to see them coming together over this child and Victoria announces uh, <laughs> that she's named the baby girl Katie short for Catherine and, well, of course, you know, I cried. I cried. I just, I immediately was like, oh, tears streaming, sniffles. I, I had a, I went through a few Kleenex on that scene. Um, but it was just so touching because uh, I miss Catherine. And it's hard not to think of Catherine at the holidays. And Gary had called into my voicemail this past week and reminded me about Catherine having her big Thanksgiving uh, wingding, you know, where she has her dining room and they'd have a turkey and just like togetherness. And like, I, I miss that about her. Catherine was all about the holidays and we don't have that gathering at the Chancellor Mansion the way we used to. And yet it was so nice to actually see YNR taking a moment, um, well, not only honoring Victoria's new baby by giving her um, Catherine's name or being a namesake, but I, I liked that YNR 
took a moment for us to remember Catherine and the characters in the room kind of talked about how she was and all of her amazing qualities and I just needed that moment to to reflect and and to think about Catherine and I really was so happy that YNR included that and I'm sure that you guys all appreciated it too um, and then of course it was right back to the drama Victoria gets a phone call Billy gets a phone call Stitch gets a phone call from the doctors that the DNA results are gonna be ready in the morning like on Thanksgiving the hospital staff is working on this these DNA test results uh, and they're gonna be um, a, a ready in the morning I don't trust any DNA test results by the way I don't even trust them so uh, my only question is which way is the storyline gonna go I mean cuz this who knows <laughs> the results could be tampered with at any point along the way I just want to know like how's it gonna who's Victoria gonna end up with um, but I I'm kind of thinking I don't know if we'll get to see it on Mondays show or if it'll be something that will unfold throughout the week if you're in Canada watching a day ahead who knows maybe you'll already know and let me tell you why <laughs> are my why in our chat friends do not spoil this for me I want to know who the father of Victoria's baby is when I watch the show <laughs> so this is a, a friendly warning from your friend Allie I will lay waste to anyone who spoils this big reveal for me And uh, with that being said, I kind of have been keeping my eye on comments with one eye. I, I don't want to know too much, but don't feel like you can't comment about it after it happens. I'm just going to try to stay away <laughs> until I have a chance to watch the episodes, but you can still feel free to comment for me. You know, I love hearing it, and I think probably it's got to happen next week, so um, I'm sure you'll, you'll have lots of opinions on it, so don't be shy. <laughs> feel free to leave me your comments. Um, there's so many different ways you can do that. I always check my voicemails at 309-588-4569 or um, you can always like go to YouTube leave me a comment uh, or um, YNRChat.com hopefully will or YRChat.com hopefully will be up and running. I'm still kind of working on all that but maybe by next week I'll have everything uh, all sorted out. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Okay, you guys, I hope you had a wonderful holiday, and I'm looking forward to next week's shows. I love ya. Bye!